Hello, and welcome to the first episode of Let's Chat RPGs. I'm your host, Dr. RPG Jeff Harvey, and we're just going to get right into it today because you've seen the preview episode, hopefully. Uh, and joining me today is uh, from, continuing, from Continuing Conversations uh, and a freelance writer for Star Trek Adventures and the lead writer on the new Star Trek Adventures solo RPG, Michael Dismuke. Michael, how are you? Fantastic, Jeff. Always good to see you. I know you're, you're the foundation of our podcast, so it's always nice to share a screen with you. I'm nervous. It's the first time I've hosted a podcast in uh, over a year and a half, I think. So, um, and joining as well is the uh, always uh, ineffable. I, I don't know. I, I can't do Michael's. I can't do Michael's thing justice. But uh, Jim Johnson. Oh, you did just fine. <laughs> uh, hey, everybody! Thanks for having me uh, uh, here, Jeff. I always appreciate it. Always appreciate all the hard work you do behind the scenes too for continuing conversations. Thank you for that. But uh, hey, everybody! I'm Jim Johnson. I'm the uh, project manager and line editor for the Star Trek Adventures. RPG and the Captain's Log solo RPG, both published by Modiphius Entertainment. Excellent. And you guys uh, are also the co-hosts and hosts of the uh, Continuing Conversations podcast, which is one of the reasons we're here today. Um, I very much enjoy that show. It's got a place in my heart as I am one of the I am the producer and it was uh, at least partially started as STA Engage, which is a show that I did uh, for what 17 or 18 episodes. Yeah. Um, and it has been doing very well. And I wanted a, there to be a nice, easy transition for people who watch that show to be able to catch into this show as well. So uh, you guys, uh, tell me a little bit about how it's been for you guys on the podcast. Like what, I, it's a new thing for both of you, I assume. It's, I know, Jim, you've got your own YouTube channel, but uh, what, what do you guys, uh, how has it been to be doing podcasting for, for role-playing games for you guys? And soon going on our hundredth episode too. So, yes. so um, it's a it's. I think for both me and Jim, it's been an unexpected surprise. Uh, when we first started it, we didn't think we'd have that much to talk about, <clears throat> but it was named Continuing Conversations. So, ironically, right. we did. Um, so, for me, again, I know I'm not a technical kind of person. Put me in front of a mic, fine, I'll do what I got to do. Um, so, it's been an unexpected surprise. And the best thing, of course, is the fan reaction and people actually saying that they're using the videos to learn and play the game. And that to me make, makes me super happy. So, it's been fun. And of course, Jim knows the people he's been able to wrangle on the show or people who've been willing to come on the show has been miraculous for Trek fans, for like us, um, a lot of the background people. So, I, I'm feeling really good about it. And I'm confident we might make 200 episodes eventually. <laughs> wow you're very optimistic there but uh, I'll, I'll be with you on the whole the whole stretch of the way if we can make it we'll see see what happens but uh um yeah for, for me i i've never done a podcast before right so i had no idea what to expect when we went on the first couple shows and just uh chatted about uh gosh what was it captain no it wasn't captain's log it must have been like Game the player's guide. Guide. Game Game Master Master. guide player's guide player's guide one of those two and uh, we just kept going and we just kept going and then all of a sudden we were like inviting people onto the show and talking about it and uh, it just it just grew from, actually uh, Michael I think in some ways it grew from the interviews you were doing on continuing mission right where you were interviewing all the different writers and artists and editors and stuff and then just kind of expanded from there and fortunately we have a pretty deep bench of people who worked on STA um, you know, in terms of writers and freelancers and stuff, but also we, we, we were really intentional about inviting the fans onto the show too, because of course the fans, there's a huge, I mean, the, the game is, is only successful because of the fans and the fact that so many people are taking to, uh, YouTube or Twitch or uh, whatever to share what they're doing. Right. And, and, uh, I, I know Michael, you've talked about this before where Star Trek has such a huge fan connection 
uh, just historically, I mean, even from the sixties all the way up to now, the fans have always been a key component of Star Trek. And, uh, and, and we knew that we wanted to get the fans involved early and often. So it's great to have super fans come on the show, talk about their experiences, talk about the games that they're running. Uh, you know, like BC Holmes talking about the, uh, the character generator that she just, she, she maintains because of the passion and the love for the franchise. And, uh, and for the game uh so it's just uh doing the podcast has been really really super rewarding in ways that i wasn't really expecting and i think um because it's so much fun to share all this stuff with fans that's kind of why i started kicking my my youtube channel up to up to speed because like i had so much content in my head that i wanted to get out and i knew it was more content than even we could get to on a weekly basis with the uh, continuing conversations i was like well shoot how do i get even more content out it's like well i do i do have my kind of you know week uh, youtube channel that i've been doing mostly writing stuff on and i could i could tap into that too so now i got a couple of different things going on and we got this going on and it's just uh, and it's all for the fans yeah. right it's all for it's all for the love of the game and all for the love of rpgs and all that stuff so uh, yeah, it's been, it's been fun wealth. yeah and the wealth of content too every yeah. day generally there's a post on continuing mission too if i'm not generating it colin wilson is mm -hmm. um Jeff, you've put up stuff there. You've offered stuff there. Uh, Tony Pie, and then the fans keep pumping out content. So every day, I mean, we hit like 365 posts a year on continuing mission, just to give you an idea how much content and how much love there is for the game. So we can't mm -hmm. keep up with one podcast, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, it's been amazing to see the Star Trek Adventures per, uh, product take off the way it has. I mean, Star Trek, obviously, it's a, a well-known IP, but I've played all the versions of the game back to Fossa and mm -hmm. through Decipher and and Last Unicorn Games, which was my personal favorite up until this version came out. And this version, I think, is um, by far... I don't I think it's probably by far the best iteration of the game. And I think that's largely in part to the passion that people like you, Jim, have um, what, you know, obviously you guys both work with the Star Trek Adventures RPG a lot. Michael, I think you've only ever had one of their game. You played uh, Marvel superheroes, right? All the all um, the iterations of the Marvel games I played. Yeah. OK. Yeah. I mean, my I favorite version of that Heroes was the Unlimited saga Champions, you know, okay. five parsecs from home. I've, I've dabbled, but Marvel, yes, fully committed. But Star Trek is definitely Star Trek Adventures is definitely the the number one on my list yeah right so what having both worked with the product as far as uh on a production side what would you say it doesn't be anything you worked on necessarily but what's your favorite star trek adventures product that's come out so far if like me personally i think the game master's guide is hands down the best single book that's come out i have to admit that i haven't actually read the star trek adventures solo play all the way through yet so i haven't been able to to, to fall in love with that yet but i've seen people playing it and it looks amazing and i'm looking forward to getting a chance to but what is your favorite product from the star trek adventures line so far oh man that is such a hard question and i, and I, I don't want to i don't want to go down the road of saying like oh you know they're all my children i can't pick my favorite children because that's bs um and i don't right. want to waste my time with that but i i don't know because it's so hard because like i was involved in the sausage making on pretty much every single one of them right and so like i've got the i've got the end result but i've got all the all the inside stories about how the thing came to life right I think, and I think I might be too close to it right now to really give you a fair answer, but I think, <laughs> um, I think, I think if I had to give you like my top two, just off the top of my head right now, it'd be the tricorder set 
because there's just so much oh, yeah. cool stuff in it and, and we managed to pack so much amazing things into there not just the rules digest and the in the campaign the little campaign booklet that i wrote but the dice right the, the green kirk dice are just so vivid in color it's just so fun to see so many of them in there you go michael's got them on the camera <laughs> very nice uh, so but just like as a as an entity right that tricorder set is just so cool looking on the on the shelf and then if i if i wear it around the house or something and i, I will never admit to doing that <laughs> uh so the uh, the tricorder set's really amazing and it just as a cool star trek product right um yeah yeah it, it's just amazing and yeah, mine's just, on the shelf right over right, right was, over here I, like <laughs> having gone through all the sausage making to make that thing happen for it to actually come together the way we wanted it to is like oh wow we actually made it work like how did that happen uh, and there were some compromises of course but uh, so that one and then the other one that i'm really super proud of um amongst all the ones that i'm super proud of which is all of them i think the shackleton book is probably the one that i i spent mm -hmm. the most blood sweat and tears into hammering into shape because there was just there was so much to it and it just got bigger and bigger and bigger as we as i worked on it and as the team worked on it um eventually to to where it's like 320 pages or something ridiculous like that it was just turned into this massive massive tome and there was still content that we wanted to put into it that we didn't have room for but uh, i think those are the two products that, that like i look at them on the shelf where I, I, I pull them down and flip them out and i'm like yeah these are really awesome but that's not to say that the everything else that we've done isn't amazing too because like the and not to rattle them off, but, you know, Utopia Planitia was an amazing effort by the team and, and Aaron, especially Very popular book as well. Yeah. Aaron play. I think uh, Stephanie did some amazing work on those covers. Uh, the, the, the original series um, collector's edition is just amazing. Like uh, the, the white and the blue and everything. But uh, so that, you know, the discovery campaign guide, uh, I really liked, I think it's um, I wish, uh, I wish more fans liked it <laughs> or, or got into it, but I think there's other things going on with discovery and, uh, and just the, the cultural zeitgeist that is frustrating but like the books look great and there's a lot of great material yeah, in there to separate so. the books from the show I, I, people, need yeah, to, yeah. I just, people need to separate the book from the show because i liked the show after i picked up that book right so yeah so anyway i'm rambling so i'll stop uh, michael what, what, what's your favorite uh sda product to date I, I sad to say now I'm i'm 13 in now that i've worked on had the privilege of working on that have been published yeah. um I'm going to base it purely off fan reaction and, and why they say they like something. Cause that touches my heart more than anything. Um, I really appreciate the game masters and players guide, how that's been mm -hmm. received by fans where people have used it as a confidence builder to get players who maybe aren't familiar with star Trek into the yeah. universe or, or, or to improve the, the other skills. The ones that I refer to the most myself um, when I'm running my games are Utopia Planitia and Lower Decks because we're mm. big into Lower Decks and knowing the inner workings of our ships and we mm. really enjoy the non-action time. So those books really helped flesh out that world um, that we don't get to see on TV many times. They don't do that. But based off fan reaction right now and based off the fear I had as to whether it would be successful or not and how much sleep I lost over it, the one <laughs> I'm most proud of right now is Captain's Log because I'm amazed. I did It, it like surfaced this world, like someone turned up the heat and all the solo RPGers and artists and creatives rose to the top once that mm -hmm. book came out. So I'm most shocked by that reaction. I actually didn't think it was going to be um, as popular as it is. So right now I'm going to ride the captain's log wave. Yeah, I hear you. Yeah, and that brings me to a, a question I was going to ask a little later, but we'll do it now. The the there's a lot of there's been a lot of changes in RPGs in general of late. There's been a lot of the problems with the OGL stuff and and the other companies all kind of sprouting their own um, new brands and things like that. 
there's been a lot of changes coming, uh, especially with COVID and online play and the virtual tabletops and all these other things. Um, solo play has been one of those things that I know a lot of people have been asking for. People wanted it for Conan. They wanted it for just, just one of these products. They wanted it for Conan. They wanted it for Star Trek. They wanted it for Fallout and, and so many other games. And I see it on a lot of Reddit posts and things like that for every game out there. People are begging for solo play games. Um, so what trends are you seeing that are going on in the hobby right now um, that you find most interesting in, in the direction that the, the hobby might be going in the future? Mm-hmm. I think the biggest it's kind of a hard question. Well, I, I think <laughs> the biggest one is probably virtual tabletops, uh, virtual tabletops, glass tables, that kind of stuff that like the, the increase in technology. And um, I think overall, that's probably going to be for the better. I think there's a challenge, though, and I think we've seen this in the last five to 10 years, maybe where you've got the, you got the people with the Twitch channels and the YouTubes and, and, and they're doing these productions, right. And they're playing, they're playing the game, but, but like some of the, some of the groups out there, the production values are so high, like so incredibly high. Cause they've got the fancy layouts and they got, they're and speaking specifically for Star Trek, like they're in uniforms, they got the whole layout and it's really, yeah, it's mm-hmm. really intimidating to look at that and go, well, gosh, it, they've set the bar so high that if me and my group across the world want to get together and play the game, like that's what we need. Is that what we need to aspire to? Cause otherwise we're not going to get any viewers or anything. And I think you have to think like as a group, you have to think about like, why are you doing this? Are, are you doing it because you want to just play the game and then just happen to share it with people? Or are you actually making a production and, and you are, you know, expecting to make, you know, money off Patreon or, or whatever you're doing. Like, I don't know. Um, I don't get into that kind of stuff, but um, so I think there's a real challenge there with um, virtual tabletops and, and, and just the whole production level of like Twitches and whatnot is that you have to, or not you, but we, we collectively have to figure out a way to, to still make it accessible so that people don't feel intimidated like like some new group says, hey, we want we want to play you know X game, but look at these ten these ten groups are online doing these super high quality productions with the audio and the sound effects and the music and the you know mm-hmm. everything right, and and that's that's that could be seen as a bar to entry, whereas you know people just want to get together and game, and I've seen the same thing with the virtual tabletops right where um, some virtual tabletops have so much functionality that you could use built into it or, or, or they're customizable so that you build in your own stuff. Right. And, and it's like, for me, um, you know, when I was running the game online, I was using roll 20 and, 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 uh, discord for audio. Right. And like, I used like the very bare minimum of roll 20 cause that's all I needed. Right. I didn't need the, all the bells and whistles and all the fancy stuff. It was like, I just need enough to get in here with my group, play the game and we're good to go. Uh, but there's other people out there that are like doing whole overlays and maps and tokens and just that like they are, mm-hmm. you know, they have the time and the ability to put, even more effort into it, which is great. But again, that, that just presents a challenge because it's like, you know, if you got one group over here doing their thing and they're like, Oh, well, we'd really like to do a little bit more, but we just don't have the time or the ability. And you got another group doing like all the bells and whistles and all the stuff. And it's just, it's just hard to find that, that, that happy medium. And uh, I think that's just one of the big challenges right now. Michael, what are your yeah. thoughts? No, you're right. I, I, in fact, I've caught myself having to encourage people to push through that um, yes. because mm-hmm. someone just recently on on continuing missions, they commented on an article because there's this wealth of Captain's Log solo RPG play reports, both in video format, audio dramas, screenplays that are coming out now and are dropping. And someone said, yeah, I don't think I'll ever be this good. I probably will never play it. And I contacted them personally. I was like, don't do that. I went, don't do that. I said, not everyone, there's like 0.01% of people who have time to do what you're seeing here. And Mm -hmm. we're giving you options. 
And I said, this is a creative game. And, and I told, I told them, just like if you're learning to play the guitar, you do an hour a day, you're going to get better eventually. RPGs the same way. Just jump in and have fun with your friends. Um, I, I play a very, I play a tabletop game too, which is very, you know, basic, very 1987 with my crew. And I love that mm. too. There's a, there's a joy to that that you can't capture electronically on roll 20. I can't get up and improv on mm-hmm. online, you know, the same way. Um, so I think the trends I'm seeing is a burst in creativity. And what I mean by that is even at my tabletop game, I have someone who has a 3d printer. I have another person who's excellent mm-hmm. with graphic design and they're starting to bring stuff to the game, like minis and maps. And, and so the trend I'm seeing is that technology and tools are making it so that before, you know, back in the eighties or nineties, if you want to have tokens and stuff and, and 3d stuff, you relied totally on the manufacturer and mm-hmm. then they could put you over a table and charge whatever they want. And then you had to take the time painting them and all this other stuff. So that was very inaccessible. Whereas now I'm looking at all these technology and tools and resources. For instance, I have my laptop up when I'm playing with all the Star Trek sound effects and I hit the buttons to create, you know, environment. I'm finding the trend is people are getting super creative. Everyone's bringing a little, uh, a little something to the table. And I'm seeing some this, I feel like we're in this middle of this huge creative time. Um, for RPG big, bigger than ever. Um, and so I encourage people keep shopping around, look what people are doing and bring into your game, what you're able, um, that won't slow down your game, but keep you pushing through. So I just think we're, we're in a, uh, a renaissance in a sense of RPG. Yeah. I think personally what I've been seeing as a store owner and as a person who just maintains a, a close eye on all this stuff is that one of the trends that we're seeing right now and possibly in the future is that as Jim and Michael, you both put, there's so much going on in the production values and there's so much creativity and anything else. It's causing players to not transition as easily from the game, from the player position to the game master position. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's causing for there to be a kind of a gap in that. And I would, mm-hmm. I think as people who are both creatives and um, who are people who are intimately involved in the creation of the game, what would you, what advice would you give to somebody who wants to learn to, to run Star Trek adventures, but is intimidated by all this, this stuff. I mean, other than just get over it and do it. Like what, what piece of advice would you have that could, help push them into understanding that it's not really as hard as they're making it seem. I have one Mm. word just because I experienced it for the first time and it built up my confidence and there's many like them, but I'm going to say Gen Con. Gen Con to me was such a diverse smattering of people at different levels of gaming. And the fact that you could walk in and watch and observe and play, there were people I know that were playing the game for the first time. And then they said, Oh, I could do this. So mm-hmm. I think experience and jumping in, in a physical learning environment, Gen Con is actually a learning environment. It's a gaming environment, but I trust you. It's a learning environment, which makes it even mm-hmm. more exciting. So going to a convention and watching and um, the table I was running for the first time, I never ran a table at the convention before. They were so forgiving, the players. And that that's confidence building. I was thinking, man, if this was my first time running this game, everybody was like, oh, by the way, there's this rule. Oh, isn't it this also? I was like, yeah, you're right. And I'm an experienced game master. Right. And so I just thought that learning environment was so confidence building that everyone wanting everyone to succeed and have fun was nice. So that's my thing is find an environment, go to a gaming shop, maybe ask the game shop owner, like, hey, can I run this? Do you have a couple people who play with me and I want to figure out the rules? I think that would be a really good option. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think. um you know, my, my advice for new game masters would be to like, you know, grab one of the quick starts and start small, 
right? Don't worry about the mm-hmm. bells and whistles. Don't worry about how you're going to present this on online or whatever. Just like find your group, do a session zero, start small and start. And, and, and specifically, specifically with Star Trek Adventures, start with the basics and then build in the mechanics as you go, as, as your group is comfortable with it, you know, add in momentum, add in threat, add in extended tasks, et cetera, et cetera. You know, start with the basic task resolution and then grow from there and, and, and focus in on the, uh, the role playing in the story and, and going scene to scene to scene, because that's, I mean, the game is really built to emulate an episode of Star Trek, right? So just go scene to scene and just take your time with it and, and, and give players the chance to get into it. Don't feel like you need to learn the entire rule set all in one go for the first episode because you're probably not going to need the vast majority of the stuff that's in there right away you know just add it to taste so that's my first piece of advice um uh you know the second is uh is is have fun with it right remember it's a game like you're not like i mean the moment you share it online you're going to get judged and that's just the nature of of life right Mm -hmm. like the instant you do anything creative and you start sharing it with people you're going to get your critics and your naysayers you'll get people that are supportive certainly but like the instant you share something no doubt someone's gonna say oh why doesn't have this and you got this rule wrong and you did this wrong and blah 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 and it's like well f that you know because right. then people say well like well then why am i even doing this if all, all people are going to do is uh is criticize it we're just you know my group is here to have fun so we're just not going to share it online anymore and then that group disappears from the from the zeitgeist and and then like i'm sure there's plenty of groups out there that are happily playing they just don't want to share online for any number of reasons right um so yeah that's my advice uh, to new to new players and gamers is just like start small you know try not to focus on the noise of everybody else doing it differently or you know quote unquote better or with slicker production values or whatever because like they're in a different place and they've done things differently and that's fine you maybe you could grow into that if that's something you're you and your group want to do or maybe you're just perfectly content you know doing the beer and pretzels thing around the table and you just happen to have a webcam set up recording it because like i love mm-hmm. that kind of stuff I've, I've watched plenty of those mm-hmm. for star trek adventures over the years and it's just like it's just fun to see them throwing dice and uh clearly having fun even if it's in like polish right like i found a group that was playing one of the one of the games in polish and i'm like i can't understand any of this but like clearly they're playing the game they got the screen and they got the books and they got their snacks and stuff and it's like okay this is a, a game group i would probably be comfortable in uh even with the language barrier right so um you, you just you know find what's what your group wants to do and then just have fun with it and just don't try not to focus on the noise i, I know it's right. hard to do no matter how good Matt Mercer's games may be, it'll never be as much fun to watch it as it is to play. No yeah. matter how good your game production value is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so what's one myth? Let's get back to this. I mean, a quick industry bit here. What What's one myth about the industry of RPG creation um, that you would like to debunk? That it's well paid. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't think anyone, I don't think anybody thinks it's well paid, but I mean, maybe there's some people out there who, who think that. I don't know. <laughs> you can make a living doing it. That you can make a living yeah. doing it. That's a myth. There you go. <laughs> yeah, and unfortunately, and Michael, I know we've talked about this on a couple of our shows mm-hmm. that uh, uh, the creative arts is so undervalued, at least in America, and uh, very rarely mm-hmm. are people encouraged to write or do art or do music or whatever. And um, as a result, you know, society reflects that, right? It, it is extraordinarily difficult to make a living writing. Um you know, just for the sake of writing, whether it's RPGs or fiction or, you know, any kind of other writing, like it can be done. And, and you have to be very 
you don't have to be very good. You just have to be persistent and you have to have a little bit of luck, right? I mean, luck is true for everything. Um, mm-hmm. But like, you know, Stephen King did not become Stephen King just because he was dicking around and uh, writing a few short stories here and there. Like he, he put his nose to the grindstone and, and worked and, and worked at it. And that was his job, you know, uh, yeah. uh, you know Nora Roberts. So there's plenty of writers who have been very successful, who have made very successful careers out of it. And it is possible and anybody could do it. You just need to have the work ethic and then you have the drive to do it. But in the RPG industry in particular, like you really need to chase the work. Like if you want to do like a lot of media tie-in mm-hmm. stuff, like if you want to work for, um, you know, Star Trek or Star Wars or um, some of the other licensed properties. And then if you want to do original stuff, you know, absolutely. Th- this is a golden age for indie RPGs right now. Um, but the challenge is this exact same challenge that fiction writers have right now. Indie fiction writers is, is like, it's relatively easy to make something. It's relatively easy these days to publish something, right? Like the, the barriers to those have become very, very low in terms of like, just mm-hmm. like creating a thing and then publishing it. The hardest part is marketing and getting it in front of people's eyes because you're, you're dealing with the behemoths of the industry. You know, you got, you got, you got Paizo and Wizards of the Coast. And if, if your stuff isn't, you know, mainline fantasy, and you're going to have a really hard time finding an audience. So you're going to end up with a, probably end up with a niche and, you know, even Star Trek, right? Even Star Trek, a multi-billion dollar global property, the RPG is still a niche, <laughs> right? Wow. And, uh, and no matter how hard we try to figure out, like, how do we grow it? Like it, it's still grassroots, right? Like seven years, like over the last seven years, I, I feel like we've really kind of hit a point now where we're getting better known and better recognized right but it's taken seven years to get here right. and you would you would think that well wait the star trek though how could you possibly have to have waited waited seven years to do that and so that's just the nature of the of the specific rpg industry right it's like you mm-hmm. got you got D and you got pathfinder and starfinder and then I, I don't know there's a few other ones just below that and then you got literally everything else and we're all competing for the same gamer eyes gamer dollars gamer time and there's and again like i said with the with the indie industry coming up now there's so many new games coming out that that as a gaming group like you could play a different game every week right and still not have even scratched mm-hmm. the surface of all the games that are out there to, yeah, to me, it's about creating new markets, too. It's like yeah. Jim, I know, is at the point now, and I think Modifius is at the point where it's about getting people who've never heard of Star Trek mm-hmm. or people who watch Star Trek but have never played a game before and getting into that niche market to grow the game. And a lot of the products lean to, in toward that. You know, I tell people if they want to write every day, too, as a living most likely what you're going to be writing for a living is not your passion. It's not going to be a Mm sci-fi comic book. So I write, you know, at work all the time and, Mm -hmm. but it's boring stuff. It's policy, it's training manuals, it's executive speeches. You know, I'm doing, I'm writing, but that's good experience. I'm getting my chops. I'm improving my, my use of grammar and language and accessible language and stuff like that. So, so, and then I get to do the fun stuff on the side. So, Mm -hmm. you know, try if, if you really want to be a writer, don't limit yourself to, I need to write for a comic book, just find mm-hmm. a job writing there's nowadays. I just can't believe how many communications and marketing people are out there, mm-hmm. um, you know, who are improving their skills using things like Grammarly or even chat GPT as a, you know, as a tool. So there's opportunities to write, but writing again, our favorite thing every day, 24 seven is probably not going to happen. It's yeah. yeah. And all, all that stuff, whether you're writing professionally, it's, it, it's all practice. Right. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of writers hate to hear that word. They, they think practice is a four letter word, but like true, it, it's a skill like anything else. You are not going to improve your writing if you don't keep practicing. So mm-hmm. emails, yeah. emails, blogs, marketing, 
um, you know, business communications, business writing, it's all, it's all relevant. It's all, especially for RPG writing, right? Cause RPG writing in a lot of ways is, is almost technical writing. Right? So yeah. the, the, mm-hmm. there, there are, there are certainly fiction elements to it. Cause you're, you're writing sidebars or you're writing, you know, narrative or something, but at the same time, um, a lot of RPG books are technical documents and, and they are presenting rules and those rules, like if you are a really good rules designer, but you're not very good at technical writing and being able to translate that rule into something that a lame person can understand, um, mm-hmm. that's the disconnect. And then you're going to need right. somebody Learn. to help you with that. Learn your verb noun directives. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Verb noun directives. You know, it sounds weird, but look it up. But I tell yeah. you right now, my technical writing on in job aids at work came right into writing new rules for mm-hmm. star trek adventures i was like i know how to the human mind works to get them through you know so even mm-hmm. how to t- set the typeface with bold and then yeah you know just these little things actually do make a difference yep. yeah i think it was neil gaiman that said you have to write a million bad words before you get to the first good ones <laughs> so yeah absolutely um but yeah i mean even um michael like you were saying uh uh you know learning how to 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 right process and how to how to turn that process into a flow chart right mm-hmm. like i i spent a lot of time working for uh, government contractors creating um requests for requests for proposals right and mm-hmm. um the the reviewers inevitably always needed pictures like that you can you can tell so much more with a picture than you can with a with you know 10 paragraphs mm-hmm. and so we had to really work hard to to present our information not just narratively in text, but we had to figure out, okay, now we need to turn this into a graphic and like an infographic or just a, a clear flow chart so that they can see at a glance on one slide or one page or whatever, there's the story they want to tell. There's the bottom line and, and being able to translate something from a, from a written media into a visual media is an art. Like it is like the ones that are really good at it, make a ton of money because they're good at it, but it's hard. And especially for like RPG, right. And this is something that Medifius is still working through right now is, uh, is a lot of our earlier books are really, really information dense, right? Just like mm-hmm. just a ton of text that you have to work through. And that's like, you know, not necessarily a bad thing, but that's just how traditionally RPGs have been. It's like, you just got to read a ton of text, but especially with the, the newer generations coming in being so technological, technology focused and, and fast, they need things faster, faster, faster. Um, we're trying to figure out like, how do we turn all this into, into flow charts, into tables, into something that's more easily mm-hmm. digestible. And I think we, we started with that a little bit with um, a couple of the books, especially Catherine's log. I think it, it really, we started working on those flow charts to make it, make it more visually, you know, yeah. comprehensible and i think i think we've gotten some pretty good fan, fan feedback that by and large they're working um although a few fans haven't read them it's like well but the flow chart is there to help you <laughs> so it's, it's, right. it's a balancing yeah. act I, I think too jeff you go going back to the question about the trends yeah who whichever yeah. rpg line i hope modifius is the first one i definitely hope it's star trek because we should be the most technologically advanced right <laughs> i am i'm, I'm hoping that at some point, you know, as opposed to maybe depending on print sales, that instead it's a subscription service of how you get content. And in that app and subscription service, you have the functionality that the current generation wants when looking up rules, search functions, remind me how to do this game mechanic, uh, tell me about Rodibium, uh, you know, and it's all in there and people subscribe to the service and then you can add on your player. So there's a game master level and there's a player level and you want to add a sure. player, add on an extra dollar a month or something for each player you want to add almost like a hulu account a subscription service right and right really i think whoever gets there first is going to lock people in for life right because they have certainly all the content with the subscription 
Right. Yeah. There's certainly a number of platforms that are heading that direction, the D&D Beyond and uh, a few other third-party ones that I can't remember the name of right now. I'm subscribed to two or three of them. Hmm. Um, that I know Modifius is involved in one of them. Um, I can't remember which one it is off the top of my head, but I, it's one of them. Um, and I would not, when I picked up the Avatar Legends RPG, uh, it came with all of the content for one of the platforms. Mm. It's not a subscription where you get everything, but it was a subscription where you've got the books you subscribe to and things like virtual tabletops have that as well. Yeah. I think um, you should get the basics and then, you know, they're add-ons, treat it like Netflix, yeah. add Hulu, treat it like add-ons. Like, okay, you want Utopia Planitia? That's an extra dollar a month or something access to, you know, or, or whatever. But I think there's a design that would actually be cheaper for the consumer. And mm-hmm. it would be more profitable for the publisher in the long so term. On that though, let's let's go ahead and go to the contrary of that. Although mm-hmm. since we're having a discussion about it, let's there's I have all of these books back here. I can play them whenever I want with anybody I want, and the company can't say anything about it, can't do anything about it, they can't change the book on me. What do you say to people who who have books like this and want this kind of experience? But now they would get RPG as a service. You know, software as a service has always been a huge problem, like Microsoft and mm-hmm. uh, Adobe and all these companies. People stop using their products because of the software as a service platforms. Mm-hmm. How do you contend with that kind of thing when you've got people like, especially the older community? Do you do you just uh, do you offer both or do you just kind of say, oh, well, yeah. this is what it is now and deal with it? No, I think it's an mm-hmm. offer. It's like the choice between PDF and print. It's just a third sure. option. And and I think as that generation does get older and people stop collecting books, you know, just real quick and have Jim answer. One reason bookcases like that don't work, for instance, in the San Francisco Bay Area and urban areas is people have to move so much because of the cost mm-hmm. of rent that they don't want to pack stuff like that anymore. So that's a thing. Right. When people used to have homes, you could have bookshelves. That's we noticed that I, I'm in real estate. That's going away now. So mm-hmm. so so uh, the generation's dying off. That was that sad to say. So it's preparing for that future. So I think it's offer all watch the trends and adapt. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think um, th- th- there have been conversations about this uh, and uh, we haven't come to a happy conclusion yet because uh, the, uh, the RPG industry in general is still very much hidebound to our uh, eight and a half by 11 hardcover, full color, mm-hmm. you know, pretty books that we like to have on the shelves. It's been true for decades now, right? We, we just cannot escape that even though PDFs can get to the market so much faster because we don't have to wait for distribution. We don't have to wait for printing. Mm-hmm. I can get it. I can get a PDF, you know, done and created in six months where, uh, you know, an actual hardcover book takes a year plus, right. And, and, you know, production costs are expensive. Printing costs are going up. Paper is at a premium. Like we had that article recently where Wizards of the Coast said the, the factories came back to us and said they, they don't have enough paper for our print run. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> for, for D for the new D and D one D and D or whatever. And it's like, and, and then you have to think about that and you're like, okay, so, Hey, you know, gaming industry, if, if the factories are telling D and D that they don't have enough paper to print their stuff, what do you think that means for all the other, you know, next tier, right. you know, people that are producing stuff, if they don't have enough paper for D and D, they're not gonna have enough paper for everybody else. So like, if you're happily playing your niche game, you're not gonna be able to see it in print because the big behemoth is taking it all up. You know, not, not mm-hmm. to disparage Wizards of the Coast, that's just where we are right now. Um, but uh, I would, I would love to see us as an industry move more toward digital editions, digital productions as the primary, and then save the hardcover stuff or the print versions as the, like the ex- exclusive premium fancy edition. And like, there isn't mm-hmm. like a, a, like a standard edition hardcover or, or paperback, or, or maybe you go with pod and do like a paperback pod if you really want a, a, a cheap print version. Um, but I, I would, if I had my druthers, I would do electronic first and then, and then the, 
every print product you do is a premium, like super fancy, you know, nice cover, nice design, whatever. Um, because, you know, frankly, RPGs by and large are a luxury item, right? They are a premium mm-hmm. product and they're not cheap, but you have to look at the, um, and this is something else we've been talking about internally, which I'm not too sure about, but like the, the value per dollar that you're putting into an RPG is like ridiculous. Like if you buy a $50, you know, Star Trek Adventures core book or something, and you play it consistently with your group, you're getting thousands of hours of joy out mm-hmm. of that 50 bucks. And they, like, there was nothing else that can compare to that. Maybe a novel, but a movie, you know, a movie, you spend 30 bucks, you get two hours and, 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 it's, and it's done. Right. I mean, I guess you buy the DVD or something or the Blu-ray, uh, but an RPG, like a good RPG, you could get a lifetime of joy out of that thing for a very, very low cost. And uh, you're talking, you know, pennies, for for entertainment right so that's that's something to think about um yeah well that's what wizards of the coast ceo said recently that they're under monetizing the the brand right yeah yeah i hate i hate so, hearing that though like, right like i he, know but like, it, it, it always makes me feel wiggy about star trek too because it's like uh you know we're we're talking about a, a utopian a near utopian society that's got mm-hmm. no money but at the same time we're selling an rpg and like you know if you want more star trek rpg stuff then you got to buy the stuff that's out there it's like it's it's unfortunate yeah. but that's just where we are BTS is part of the faringi alliance we've already I mean, agreed to that. yeah <laughs> I mean, yeah. but, but every company is right right it's a concern too we, for, we, like, can't, again, we, can't, we can't afford to do it just for the love like we can't just publish stuff right. for the sake of doing it i mean the fans can certainly do that and that's why continuing mission so successful and got so much uh content because you mm-hmm. don't have to wait for the licensor to uh review and approve it right and i think right. that's actually you know that that harkens back to something we were just talking about you all were talking about just a few minutes ago about the um you wanting to have an online compendium and a subscription service and, and the ability to like buy into stuff and buy into books like D and D beyond's got that pretty good. And I think you would, if, if you want to do something like that and do it well, it would probably need to be uh, a game line that is your original IP, right? I, I don't think Paramount would ever go for something like that for Star Trek simply because there's so many, um, um, layers of red tape to work through and so many mm-hmm. bean counters wanting to make sure that they get their cut of the deal right there's just so many layers of of, of stuff that has to go through that, they do it for that stl yeah do they though i mean right, but a, a, lot different of that, beast. a lot of that is sto's original content that's layered on top of the star trek brand right. the star trek sto is barely star trek anymore like it uses the star trek skin but it is so much its own thing now right i mm-hmm. I, I honestly think that there could eventually be a tech it, it wouldn't be impossible for sto to adopt rpg and dice rolling into it sure. I, i've i mean just recently on continuing missions someone posted an audio drama playing captain's log that was a branch of their sto game they even used the sto to animate the characters but then played an rpg to get the narrative so i i, I don't think it's that far of a leap and i think if it was integrated as like an adaption of say sto then paramount mm-hmm. Would be, I mean, there's just so much money with those people paying those STO yeah. subscriptions, yeah. you know? So, so the challenge, so, the challenge there, Michael, is that like technologically, it wouldn't be hard to put together, right? The hard yeah. part would be convincing yeah. the studio executives that it is a viable thing and that a, a virtual tabletop or online resource or something isn't a digital video game, right? That there's still a disconnect. Yes. Not, not specifically at Paramount, but just in general, there's a disconnect between what is a video game versus what is an online tool, right? Because they hear digital, they think video game, right? Mm-hmm. And so there's there's a learning curve that has to be overcome that 
that has to happen from a bunch of different directions and not just the the licensee saying, hey, we want to do this thing. And no, it's not a video game, but it's a tool to help play the game online. There's still there's right. still a lot of work to be done in, yeah. in that respect. Yeah, you're looking for a merge of comicsology with the STO landing in the middle. <laughs> That's right. what, and so, yeah. we're paying for these subscriptions. Yeah. Modivius has been one of the companies that's on the sort of the front line of being able to get the PDFs in people's hands if they buy the physical copy of the book, too. I know that Modivius will provide the PDF to anyone who give, sends an email in. You can also, if you buy from a local game store, this is near and dear to me, you buy from a local game store. Mm-hmm. Some local game stores can be parts of a company called Bit, uh, or a program called Bits and Mortar, which yeah. uh, my store is. And we can send you the, the, the digital copy of the book. Um, so, I mean, there are definitely there's there's currently we can see that trend happening. But with when you're talking this high minded, the idea of getting into this more subscription based stuff, how do you combat with something like that? Or how do you in the future maintain the growth in the digital era and not alienate the places where people were finding games? Like, how do you it's so much harder to find players now with the online environment that are reliable that you can sit down with and that you can really interact with and have that connection to i mean you get it somewhat with online and there's there's millions of players out there obviously but um to really get that true connection and not have people just your games evaporate after three or four sessions because the players didn't match the place to do that originally was gaming stores and things like that and conventions mm-hmm. how do you how do you get into a subscription-based model um and still maintain that atmosphere or how do you alter to the find to, to the atmosphere to find that kind of thing because you're going to lose uh, the more you go into subscription-based models, the more you're going to lose uh, the small gaming stores. Like for my store, we're not going to carry Wizards anymore. Like we're just done carrying Wizards of the Coast after this new one comes out because there's no point for us carrying it anymore. It, they they are clearly targeting somebody other than us. And I would rather support companies like Modifius than, you know, Wizards. And I don't get me wrong. I still love Wizards of the Coast. I still love d and I'm a huge D&D fan. But there's no reason for me to carry that product and put it, you know, and and listen to customers come in and tell me, that they're gonna they can get it half for half the price on Amazon, or they can get the digital copy over here or for whatever else. How do you how do you and so and because of that, we're losing people who are wanting to discover new games like Star Trek because they're not coming in to look for the big games anymore. So how do you kind of compete with that idea of keeping new players coming in and still having the subscription model, or do you think the subscription model would just I, I, take over for that? I, I think the question you're you're asking, Jeff, is what every brick and mortar retailer in America is asking. I mean, I'm in San Francisco, and yeah. we just closed down our biggest mall in the center financial district. Nordstrom's moved out. Blue yeah. Old Navy gone. Like. I was there yesterday in the city and it was a ghost town on a Friday. Mm-hmm. And so I think the small ones are sad to say the first ones to drop mm-hmm. the small brick and mortars, which is again, why I think we're in a time of innovation and we've got to figure out what we're going to do to keep these right. games alive. It's a, it's, I don't think there's any stop in that truck in my opinion. No, mm-hmm. but in the same vein though, it's if that's where players are discovering these things, how do you attract it's, Where's the new shift? Where's the new paradigm for finding new players? I I think Twitch and stuff like that, like online Mm -hmm. forums where people can talk to creators is going to have to be the answer. It's kind of like, you know, say the Amazon model. There's not a product on Amazon that you can't find some sort of YouTube or Twitter or TikTok expert promoting and and reaching Mm -hmm. out. I think that's where we're at right now. We don't know the answer. But someone's right. going to innovate. I want to be an innovator. I'm trying to figure it out. Right. I'm hoping Modifius can do the same thing, you know? 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. I, almost, I almost wonder if and, and this may be a weird analogy to make, but like for a while there, movie theaters were really struggling to bring audience into the theaters right because everybody mm-hmm. can just stay home and watch on on uh, on their on their tvs at home because home theaters have gotten so good but also the mm-hmm. the timing between a movie being in the theaters versus it coming available on streaming has has gotten so small right I mean, it's only a couple months now like if i miss something in first run theaters i don't care because i can go watch it on tv uh mm-hmm. in a couple months like it, th- there's no longer a uh, a movie release that's like oh i've got to go see that right now in the theaters like it's like i mean who cares it's a movie i'll go see it in a couple months is uh, there's no zeitgeist rushing me to go see it other than maybe being spoiled for something but you know even then it's like eh, okay uh, but anyway so um i wonder if game stores just need to find new ways to draw in their their clientele and their audience i mean like yeah. we know that that like online retailers are going to kill you at in in discounts and and, and pricing right mm-hmm. that's just the reality and it's unfortunate like my favorite game store closed because they couldn't compete with the with amazon anymore mm-hmm. and and they weren't they didn't have anything else to offer that would keep people coming in other than you know 20 year old stuff on their on their shelves that they couldn't move and they just let their right. let it sit there and collect dust and then it'll look terrible uh, but um i think you know if if it, if it were if I had the ability and the time and the money, what I would do is I would open up a, a little a game store, and I would put um, like some some decent quality computers in there, and give everybody a chance. If you want to play stream, if you need a place to go that isn't your parents' house or isn't your friend's house or your basement or whatever, and you want mm-hmm. to just play games, like here's a headset, here's a keyboard, here's a here's a computer. Go log into Twitch. Go log into whatever virtual tabletop, whatever. Play with your friends here. You know, buy some snacks, buy some drinks, check out some of the other games that are out there that I've got on my mm-hmm. shelf. You know, I, I hate to say, you know, play play magic or whatever, because I, I, I try to like, you have to be <laughs> careful, like how you're managing it. Right. But but just to find I would want to find ways to to draw people in, mm-hmm. have cool events at my store. Um uh- yeah, I would add two more elements to that. Yeah. To the food, I would actually have a cafe style feel, a little wine, yeah. a little beer, and I would add one yeah. other element to make sure people come regularly. Right next door would be a laundromat. I would own all the washers oh. and dryers so mm. that people who come in to do it, it's like, hey, while you're waiting, come play some games. We'll show you. And also we right. some food. I would, I would attach a laundromat, something people have to do to bring in new clients constantly. Mm-hmm. I parked ours next to two, uh, two hair places. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Nice. Nice. Yeah. yeah I think I agree. I, yeah. I, oh, I, I just, I'm sorry. I, I just, uh, I, I really empathize with the, with the local game stores because they are yeah. really, truly the, the, they are the, the, the interface between the game companies making the stuff and, and the people wanting to play it. And, um, right. especially, especially for gamers who want to get their hands on stuff and play it. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I talked about the game store that I really liked. That was local here, game parlor. I miss you game parlor so much, <laughs> but one of the great things about game parlor that they did is, is they would let you take the shrink wrap off of games and and open it up and look at the mm-hmm. components and get a feel for the game. And then if you liked it, then, then you could either just buy it outright. Or if you said, Oh, you know what? This isn't for me. They had a shrink wrap machine in the back and you think that was kind of like a minor thing, but then they could re shrink wrap it and put it back on the shelf. And as long as it was still in saleable condition, you know, somebody else could come and look at it. But that was mm-hmm. a service that no other game store in the area offered. They were like, no, you look at the, you look at the box and uh, you read the back cover and you, you just hope for the best. And if that's, you know, if you want to buy it, buy it. But, 
the fact that this game store was like, no, you know what? We have a shrink wrap machine. So go ahead and open it up. Look at the components, especially now. Nowadays, components are so such a key, com- a, a key element of, of selling a game, mm-hmm. right? You have all these Kickstarters with their super fancy and super detailed components now because that's where technology is. We can 3D print just about anything and you can get super detailed on the miniatures uh, mm-hmm. and the components and stuff. And it's like, OK, you know, as a gamer, like. I can't see what a game feels like online, right? I can, I can watch videos. I can watch how to play videos all day long, but me, I'm tactile, right? I want to see what the pieces yep. look like. And I want to see what the map looks like. And I want to see, I want to get a feel for the pieces. And this may be petty, right? But like the, the tokens that have like that linen feel to them feel good. And, and like, mm-hmm. I want to have a, that game experience that I want to have at the tables. Like I want it to be fun and feel good and stuff. And like, if the, if the cards are like that, there's certain kinds of uh, a card fabric that's like really slick and they just like fly all over the place and they're just not fun mm-hmm. to handle. It's like, I don't want that. <laughs> I want to know what the game is. You know? too. Yeah. They feel thin yeah. and, 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 and cheap. Right. Uh, so like if you're a game store and, and you have the means to get yourself a shrink wrap machine or something, mm-hmm. then, you know, consider that like, you know, you just, you know, encourage the gamer to be careful and don't get their sweaty hands on all over all the components or whatever. But, uh, you know, just right. try to try to just offer something different that they can't get online and, and, and try to you know show that it's not just the price. You're actually trying to provide a service as well. Right. And that's right. And that's tricky. Um, and yeah, one that's last one thing that we do for okay, sure. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. I mean, so that's one of the things that we it. do. Yeah. One of the things we do. And, and I don't want to get too far off of what you're saying, but one of the things that we do also is we uh, a lot of companies like Paizo uh have the and D for a while had the venture league but they have the organized play stuff and the stores can help run that kind of yeah. stuff and that's one thing we do we run a lot of games and we have a games library much like you would see at gen con in fact uh lima lee who is the games the gen con game library guy uh helped me set up my library um so that's one thing that we do and i think that's a great way to do it and, and to your point earlier jim you were talking about having the special cover books that's something else that i personally as a as a collector of books I really like being able to go to my shop, my local shops mm-hmm. for, and I think it really helps local shops and keeps people interested in those products. Um, go ahead. What were we going to say? Oh, actually it, it ties right into what you just said, where um, I think um, game companies by and large could do, could be doing a better job of giving game stores more mm-hmm. e- either exclusive swag or free swag or um, organized play stuff um you know exclusive convention adventures just that you're only going to find in the stores we're not going to make them available mm-hmm. online you know that kind of stuff to help the retailer plan events and have actual things that the gamer can can go and say oh well you know i'm going to go to jeff's store to play star trek adventures because this month they've right. got some cool thing and i can go get a little tchotchke or a or a um stl file or or maybe like a, a unique adventure that i can't find anywhere else i would love that i, I know, think i would <laughs> love to do that yeah, I honestly it's think one like thing if, that sold, if, if the hard copies were only available at brick and mortar for 30 days before release or an order online, mm-hmm. that would be a great right. boost. Yeah. So that's something that with Disney's Lorcana just came out. The Lorcana was available in small stores prior, like I think two weeks prior to the release in uh, big stores. Mm-hmm. Then Paizo is coming out now with hobby store exclusive covers for the new Pathfinder second edition, second edition. Um or revised, I don't know what they're calling it, but the new version of, of the, of the Paizo Pathfinder. Mm-hmm. So that's all stuff that, that I think if you're adding that to your subscription based model, you've got to, I think that sustains a, uh, it's a good thought <laughs> for a sustainable future, uh, for, for helping people find the game and, uh, and still be able to, to have that model. I think it's a very interesting concept and the seeing where the future takes us. Um, I'm excited, uh, as we've, we've said a couple of times, I think we're in that boom time, 
Yeah. Um, other, yeah. And I would just study other industries. Like look at what they do with the sneakers, right? They do the, mm -hmm. you get, before you can even get them online, you got to go in store to get mm -hmm. sneaker releases. <laughs> so I think there's people who, who are figuring out how to keep the brick and mortar alive. So got to emulate. That. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I wanted to talk about a whole, I had a whole bunch of other questions. We've missed like maybe th uh, three quarters of my, of my list here, but we're running <laughs> low on time. So I want to get to, we'll get to the last little bit of things here. Um, I, the one question I, I like to ask everybody and, and uh, we all have our own personal values or belief systems and things like that, whatever they happen to be, how do you, in your writing, how do you feel your values show up in the work that you do? If they do at all, like, do you, when you're writing, I know Jim, you also write novels. Um, how much of that is you and how much of that is just, you're doing the job. Uh, I, I for think, everything for rpgs and everything else uh, I mean, I, it's, it's a hard question to answer i think <laughs> no i mean i mean i don't know if it's hard i think it's hard to think about but uh i think mm -hmm. um I, I can't speak for every writer obviously but like everything i write there's me in it right because mm -hmm. i've spent my entire life being focused on diversity and inclusion and equity partly thanks to star trek right you know teamwork teammanship all those values that i've learned over the last you know umpteen years it all gets into my writing somehow uh to where like by and large the the stuff that i'm writing i try to have a diverse cast of characters you know main character supporting characters um very very narrative and cinematic feel of, of writing um but uh there's pieces of me and everything right the good sides and the bad sides right like there's there's mm -hmm. you know every every person's got their dark side and, and like i sometimes tap into that to put into my adversaries uh in my story sure. because you know that they're they're human and they're or they're you know the, the human values are in there um so yeah no i think uh, i think i mean i may miss the point of your question but uh, i think no, absolutely that's, that's perfect I'm, I'm in all my writing because i, I can't help it because that's just it, it, my writing is a reflection of me and my thought process where i am at that, at that point in time and uh it, it bleeds into the into the stories i think largely it's a poorly worded question i'll have to figure out how to word it better in the future but i think you did a good job <laughs> michael what you got um, everything same as Jim. The reason why is because yeah. <clears throat> one of my joys is being able to anything I write to have a nonviolent solution, um, mm -hmm. and to bring the best out of humanity where giving people options like, okay, if you want to do the easy choice, go ahead, pull out your gun, pull mm -hmm. out your phaser, whatever you want. But that's the easy choice. And I think we need more practice in this day and age of having self-control and finding other alternatives. Too many mm -hmm. people are turning to violent solutions as a reflex reaction mm -hmm. and so i try to design games where people can make diplomacy the reflex reaction instead yeah excellent yeah i think i think um, um, um you know i think uh, actually you know harkening back to what we were talking about star trek discovery i think star trek discovery especially the first two seasons does an amazing job of showing people having really hard human conversations with each other about mm -hmm. about stuff and they, they just not you know they're not ghosting each other they're not just walking away they're not just pulling out a phaser they're actually sitting down and they're having really hard conversations with each other and i think i would love to see more of that just in the in the world because <laughs> it's it's necessary right it's like it's easy to walk away from somebody or it's easy just not to you know text them back or call them or whatever but to have that real conversation to get that connection is uh, is really important so i'm sorry jeff i think yeah. i interrupted you no, that's all right. Uh, I was just moving on to the next question, so that's a good answer. <clears throat> what um, what's been the most memorable moment of your career so far in gaming? The day Jim asked me to give him a pitch. <laughs> that was the best. <laughs> that was the, I'll, I'll never forget that. <laughs> but nice. I think I, I should print out the email and put it on my wall, probably. Uh, One of the I, questions I was going to ask earlier was: uh, Have you ever have you had a, a, a the I've made it moment? Um, 
So this kind of ties in with that a little bit. <laughs> no, I did. I did the other. I'll, I'll just say real quick. The day I had it was Gen Con. I told Jim, I said, if this is the end mm-hmm. of my writing career right here, and if this is it for me, and and standing there at the booth and seeing the reaction for the fans, I, I'm actually satisfied. I'm very content. Mm-hmm. Um, that was my I made it moment. Nice, interesting. Uh, favorite moment of my career, I, I think uh, somewhere. Gosh, it must have been during the pandemic. Uh, somewhere during the pandemic. Um, cause, cause like I, they, they made me the project manager at the end of Gen Con 2019. And, and then, um, I started going full, full speed into project management and working on the books that we were working on at the time. And then the pandemic hit and like the whole world changed. Right. But I think mm-hmm. somewhere, somewhere in there, when I was starting to transition to becoming project manager and, and not so much just the writer and editor, I, I realized that I was now in a position where I could give a lot of people opportunities to work on the game and to work on Star Trek that they would never get anywhere else. Cause there's no other Star Trek licensee right now taking submissions from, from uh, the rank and file fandom, right? Mm-hmm. You, if you want to write Star Trek novels, you got to have an agent, you got to get it through the process. Uh, there's nobody else right now taking written stuff and turning it into Star Trek stuff. And I, and I realized, wow, this is an awesome, amazing opportunity to, to, to lift people up and bring them with me as opposed to being a gatekeeper. And uh, I've really tried to embrace that. So I think that was a really exciting moment for me when I finally made that transition in my head from I'm a freelance writer and editor to I am now the, I'm still freelance, but I'm, I'm now the project manager in charge of this thing. And I have the ability and the power to bring people in if I want to, and I want to. And, and so that was, that was a big moment for me, I think. Um, as far as the moment when I felt like I made it, uh, I'm not sure I'm there yet. <laughs> I've been so busy. <laughs> I haven't given myself the time to just stop and appreciate what I've done. Like I've got a very big body of work and I'm very, very proud of that work and very humbled that so many people come with me on the ride to do all that work, but I haven't really stopped to go. Oh yeah. Okay. That was really awesome. Um, I think uh, I am so satisfied right now. Like I could walk away tomorrow and feel like I've done everything I wanted to do. Even with the project, like the, I got like 50 or 60 Star Trek projects on my plate right now that I'm working on. And I'm excited for all of them and it's going to be amazing when they all hit the, uh, hit the market. Right. But, but like the stuff that we've done in the last seven years, I'm super, super proud of. And, um, I, I guess Gen Con 2017, that first year we went and, um, and we were selling the pa- the books right off the pallet, you know, in, in at the little mm-hmm. tiny Medivius booth. That was pretty cool because it gave me a chance to see fans, uh, not across the screen and I could actually touch them and, and react to them and have them sign my books. That was really awesome. And then that kind of continued in 2018 and kind of continued in 2019. And then again, the pandemic hit and I haven't been back to a convention mm-hmm. since then. So it's been a while. It's been a bit of a drought. So I'm hoping if I go back next year, maybe I'll, I'll get that feeling again. <laughs> uh, but yeah. uh, you know, part of me, like part of me, I feel like um, I feel selfish because I feel like my 15 minutes of fame, I've been stretching out. You know, I've, I found a way to stretch out that 15 minutes into four years and I'm seeing if I can stretch it out a little bit longer. But uh, no, I, I'm just I'm just grateful to be here and to be working on the game and to be in a position where I can give other people like Michael and Al Spader and so many other people uh, an opportunity mm-hmm. to do something cool that they love and, and to be able to share this passion that we all have for Star Trek. Um to the fans and and, and get the fans involved too. I, I love that we're able to get the fans on the show. Um yeah. So uh, good, great question, though, Jeff. I, I wish I had a better yeah. answer. If uh, if we're all still doing this next year, uh, maybe we'll all go to Gen Con and do a sit down one. <laughs> that would be cool. That would be super uh, cool. So I, last Gen Con I went to was 2014. I've been to conventions other than that, but I love yeah. Gen Con. It's so much fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, would you rather have more time or more money? Super time. quick question. Time. time. I have no time problem making money. I have no problem making money if I have time. 
Yeah, right. Uh, I, uh, what's the best? Yeah, oh, yeah I, I was going to elaborate, but there's no need to elaborate. Just I, I wish I yeah. had more time. Right. What's the best compliment you've ever? The, the ironic thing about that story, that question is we have to move on from that question. Um, what's the best compliment you've ever received? Mm. I don't have it verbatim, uh, but it was, and this is a, this is thanks to captain's log. I think somebody posted on one of the social media channels to say, um, you know, I've been, I've been really struggling to find a group to play the game with. I've been really struggling to find any way to get my creative outlet out, you know, cause like they wanted to write stories. They wanted to do star Trek. They wanted to get involved in the, in the, in the, in the, in the property just cause they love it so much. And they're like, I just didn't have the right tools to do it. But then you came out with captain's log and it's unlocked everything. I'm now able to mm-hmm. tell stories. I'm able to be creative. I can, I can do this without a group. I can do this without my family. I don't need anybody's approval or permission to do it. I can just take this thing and be amazingly creative. I think that was the most touching comment I saw because it, it is like they got it. And, and like we were able to do that for them. We were able to finally create a tool that connected with them in a meaningful way that they were then able to go off and be incredibly creative. And, and like I am like in my professional job, I am, I am passionate about helping people do their thing better, right? Like if I can give mm-hmm. them some training or some tips or a job aid or something that then I see the little light bulb go off in their head and they can go, Oh, I can do, I can be X percent more effective now because of this little thing. Like that's, that's where I get my joy is like helping people be better at what they're doing or helping them unlock something that they're really passionate about. And then they can go off and be yeah. creative. That That's where I get my satisfaction. And I think that comment, I mean, even after seven years, that was the best comment and it just happened you know, recently. <laughs> that's funny yeah. I, I know exactly that was on facebook and that was going to be my exact yep. response was that yeah. comment jim that one was like nailed it i was so happy nice mm-hmm. yeah i saw that comment the other day i was thinking that was a, a very a very touching thing for for that um yeah. on the same vein what's the what insult have you received that you're the most proud of <laughs> yes <laughs> don't do this jim's laughing i just oh did a, I did a soapbox episode i don't know when this is airing Jeff, I don't know when you. Uh, this will be the first week of October. Okay, so oh, first I, week. Sorry, first week of first week of September. Okay, sorry. so after that, we've already recorded an episode that's showing at the end of September, and I just railed on a soapbox because someone had made a comment about people posting their books that they were receiving on social media. They were people are just proud to get yeah. their books. There's a lot of anticipation, and right and. That was, it, I wasn't insulted because I actually don't get, I, li, I, I have made people mad because I don't get offended. They get mad because <laughs> they try to insult me and I crack up. I have a very dark comedic mind. Right. And so sure. I wasn't upset with it, but I definitely did have a reaction to it. And people can watch continuing conversations, the September 29th episode, and they'll see exactly what my response, it was too long to go into here. <laughs> sure. Jim. Uh, geez. What was what was the question again? So I get, so I get it right. What, what was what, the what comment? insult are you the most proud of? What insult have you received that you're the, that most, I'm the most proud of? Proud of. Uh, I I have to admit I I'm not sure I can remember. Uh, I mean <laughs> I mean gamers are are a fickle lot and they always 
complaining yeah. about stuff even before they praise stuff and that's just the nature of the of the business right as soon as you release a new product they're like oh hey you got a typo on page 30 it's like right. did you even read the rest of it did you appreciate any of it or are you just immediately nitpicking it like i don't know who cares right um i mean i, I care but <laughs> but i don't i don't care because like they, they see they see the little things they don't see the thousands of typos that i fixed before we went into production but that's right. beside the point um i i don't know that i have a favorite insult um other than other than to say that in my fiction writing way back in the day i wrote a star trek short story for one of the anthologies and um somebody posted a review on amazon and they were going story by story you know giving their short quick reviews of each one right and they they got to mine and they said uh well this was a good story but i'm not sure what the point of it was and that was the entirety <laughs> of the review it's like okay thanks thanks for reading it at least you liked it right <laughs> it's like it's a good story but i don't know what the point of it was it's like yeah, okay and I, no, right and whatever. i did think of one jeff somebody an, an executive at my work once told me said i don't like michael because he's not a yes man that's the <laughs> best insult i ever got in my life i was so yeah happy. absolutely yeah mm -hmm. so that's that's mine <laughs> nice yeah i mean any, anybody I, anytime anybody insults me or the or, or or you know disparages the game or the products we're doing it's like i okay you know i i've accepted that people have their opinions and and sometimes i can tell that those opinions are uninformed and uh and it's just i just let sure. it go because it's not worth it to to get into it with somebody on uh online right so it's like okay you know it worked for you or it didn't work for you that's okay there'll be another product coming down the line and if you don't like the game that's okay right. there's plenty of other games to go play so don't don't uh, darken my doorstep with your with your angst because i don't, I don't care I'm moving, right. moving on to the next one your negativity never helped anybody so right. all right you guys do this on every episode of continuing conversations and i really like it so i want to steal it and i'm going to take it for the show and just let you guys know that it is now part of this show what are you most grateful for what are your gratitudes mm. I'll, i guess i'll start that's our normal tradition so i'm, I'm gonna <laughs> yeah. i'm gonna to launch this show for you uh, Jeff, I'm going to say thank you to you. My gratitude has to go to you because there would be no continuing conversations without you. You were the one who first invited me on STA Engage. <clears throat> and I know our schedules at that time didn't really mesh to do something regular. So I invited Jim and that just started happening. But you were so kind as to say, you know, I don't have the time, but I'll still produce you. I'll still get, yep. get it out there and I'll edit and put it up there. So um, there is no us without you. So my thank you goes to you. I still have the passion for it. I just don't have the time. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yep. It goes so, right back. To, it goes back to time. Uh, my yep. gratitude. I, I will echo Michael, uh, Jeff and say, I'm grateful to you. I'm grateful for all the hard work that you put into the show behind the scenes that nobody ever sees and nobody ever talks about other than us. We try to talk about it, but I'm sure we don't talk about it nearly enough. Uh, all the, all the things that you're doing to make it happen. And, um, so I'm grateful to you for doing this. And I'm also grateful that you, uh, that you're starting this new show and that you actually thought to invite the two of us. Like that's, that's humbling, uh, to, to, that you would uh, that you would uh, you know think so well of us that you'd want us to help you kick off your show and hopefully we didn't accidentally bury it <laughs> no uh, i think it's but, been a good episode yeah but but grateful <laughs> to you for for everything that you do and i hope this uh, this new show is a big success and uh, i'm excited for you for this new endeavor and uh just looking forward to seeing where it goes from here uh, my gratitude, uh, I was going to do something less cheesy, but I will go and do that. My gratitude is it's really for both of you guys. Um, without you guys, the community conversations wouldn't still be on the podcast. The mm -hmm. studio tempo wouldn't be where it is. I wouldn't have the enjoyment. Um, I really enjoyed editing episode 90 and 96. So those of you who want to go back and watch really well done episodes, uh, as far as the graphics and everything else goes, go back and watch those two. Um, I don't think 96 is out yet, but, uh, <clears throat> 90 and 96 look very similar. Hmm. So go check those out and uh i'm grateful that you guys came on the show and that you've taken 
the baton of STA Engage and ran with it and, and made it such a popular thing and such a such an exciting thing I, that I get to still be a part of. And, you know, not just walking away from me because you probably could if you really wanted to. Um, and I really well, why would for all of that. So <laughs> it's a family um, studio Tembo family. That's right. Um, so last question is where can listeners find you? Or watchers, really? Uh, well, I think uh, continuing conversations, go find that podcast, go find that YouTube channel, uh, go to Studio Tembo. Mm-hmm. All, the, all the videos are on there. Uh, you can find me on every social media for Star Trek Adventures, as far as I know, the Facebook groups, the Reddit, the Discord, uh, Twitter, or X, I guess, whatever you call it. Uh, I'm at, at, at Scribe underscore Netty. Um, I'm on the official Modiphius forums, although hardly anybody goes there anymore because we're on Discord. Uh, so if you want to learn more about Star Trek Adventures, you'll find me one way or the other. Everything right. and everything Jim said, and you can type in my name to LinkedIn, or you can go to Continuing Conversations, uh, Continuing Missions, which is of course the number one blog for Star Trek Adventures and Captain's Log. Yep, yep, right. And if you want to check out Continuing Conversations or anything else that we do at Studio Tembo, you can find it anywhere uh, at Studio at Studio Tembo. Uh, that's where I am for everything. There's a link in the link. There's a link tree in the stuff below. <clears throat> It'll be in the show notes for the audio podcast. Um, and if you want to listen to the audio only versions it's anywhere all fine podcasts are given away absolutely free we're on everything including you can t- tell your smart speakers to tell to, to play continue conversations and it is on there um so that's one thing i'm most proud of um but with that i don't have anything else you guys want to have anything else before you uh, before we go or idsc right. no indeed. live long and prosper <laughs> be safe be well thanks for being here all right so long and thanks for all the fish mm-hmm.